Something new is supported by listeners like you. Visit joelbnew.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with some of the savviest performers in the theater industry, hear their stories, work through and premiere a brand new original song, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Today's guest artist, I see that face. <laughs> I know, it's very highfalutin, but... <laughs> keep going, keep going. All right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll ignore your faces. Okay. Today's guest artist is a graduate of musical theater performance at Sheridan College and was named one of the 20 most successful graduates of the program. She also holds her grade 10 voice and ARCT in piano performance from the Royal Conservatory of Music. In 2014, she created the Confidential Musical Theater Project, which had its debut in Toronto and expanded to eight cities by the end of its first year. There are now franchises in 14 cities, including Los Angeles and Chicago. She's looking forward to working as musical director for Drayton Entertainment's summer pantomime Aladdin and is preparing to produce a theater festival that celebrates women in musical theater. Obviously, I'm talking about Marion Abbott. Marion Abbott, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Thanks for being on my show. Oh, you're welcome. This is a big, this is a big honor. This is, this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm touched that you asked me. So. Well, I'm tickled that you're touched. Yes! That sounded wrong. <laughs> it did. It did. Or, or right. I mean, <laughs> um, so let's tell my listeners, um, this is a Skype interview. Yeah. Um, because Marion lives in Canada. I live in Canada. I could be your girlfriend who lives in Canada, Joel. You could. I mean, I could. yeah. I have some family members who would love that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. I'm there for you. <laughs> Thank Anytime. you. Thank yeah. you. And I'll be your boyfriend who lives in New York. Who writes musicals. <laughs> and don't, don't worry. Don't worry about it. You just write yeah. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So you're my first international guest. Wow. Yeah. Thank right? Thank you. Yeah. That's thank, awesome. thank you. Thank you for broadening my um my geographical horizons. Wicked. 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 Um so so yeah, with that in mind, um so I have I have some Canadian questions for you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what is uh what and this is just my naivete, what is the musical theater scene like in Canada in general? Can you or is it more uh, distinct per, like, wherever you are? Um, it's definitely distinct where you are. Mm-hmm. I would say um, it's hugely passionate scene. It's very thriving. There's lots of it going on. Um, it seems sometimes like the more remote cities and the and the more, um, like, Saskatchewan is, there's a lot of open plains, right? Like, they're known for these flat, flat, flat landscape and a lot of farms but there's this crazy amazing musical theater community there that tends to send a lot of their top talent to Toronto to train or, or to other schools. Um, so that is going on. There's a real push right now for uh, original Canadian musical theater. They had a huge um, production of a show called Evangeline, which is based on a historical moment in time from Canadian history um, that had a, a big production in PEI. And then it moved to Edmonton. I think right. it was um, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Edmonton. Um, so that was a big deal that people poured a whole lot of money into a Canadian show. Um, we are as polite as the stereotype says, and that's that's a problem because we don't, you know, 
you, I think to be a performer, there's a drive within you that, um, that needs to be there to, to kind of get to the international stage or to Broadway. And I think you're born with that, but, but Canadians, like we really do say sorry a whole lot. And, um, and we're kind of afraid to edit each other's work because we don't want to offend them. And that's definitely an undercurrent. So I think, but definitely I would say in the last couple of years, there's been a real push to promote and support Canadian musical theater, which is really exciting. So the school that I went to Sheridan, they actually have the Canadian musical theater project where they um, mount a new show every year with their students, which is really exciting. Um, there's a theater company called acting upstage and there's another theater company called theater 20. And they both um, part of their mandate is to support new work. And they actually have um, training programs and uh, mentorships and stuff, which is going on. So there's lots of exciting work there. I can say when I started teaching students ooh, a thousand years ago, I've probably been doing the, the festival circuit for about 10 years. And I remember the first couple of years I did it, there'd be like two days of musical theater, maybe. And now it runs almost for a solid week in Toronto. Whoa. There's so many kids studying musical theater and, um, or studying you know, voice privately. And that's part of their training. So I would say some of that's due to Glee. Glee really, you know, really kind of brought it into our household. American Idol, YouTube. So, yeah. So that's the scene, I would say. Just as important, um, how did you get into the world of musical theater in Canada? Oh, my parents, um, my mom didn't work until I was a teenager. Okay. And, but they, so any money they had, they invested in, in live experiences. So we went to Ontario place a lot in the exhibition and stuff like that. I went to see Annie at the age of four. It had come to the O'Keeffe center. The O'Keeffe center is where they debuted, uh, Camelot, uh, back in the day. Wow. And the Camelot. The Camelot. Yeah. Which was kind of a disaster, right? Cause I think it was like three and a half hours long, the first show. And mm -hmm. anyway, um, it still feels three and a half hours long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um my parents took me we i was four years old my dad bought the records that was a big part of my childhood my dad would always buy the record whatever we went to see my parents loved it so much they took us back the next night which at the time for the money like it must have been such a crazy move but i remember so that my first i didn't really speak for a long time which is kind of surprising to a lot of people i really didn't speak till i was about three um, three years old. Um, so the first song I really started singing was Amoro, Amoro, Amoro. Yeah. So that's how I, that's how I got into it. But it's a weird thing. Like I, I never, I don't know. I had, I had the dream of being a performer. Like I would be in my room. I'd spend a lot of time in my room listening to record upon record. Um, I used to go to the library and get a whole bunch of musical theater records. Um, but it was never, I never really kind of dreamed of Broadway. I just dreamed of doing shows. Um, yeah, so that that was a big part of my life. My dad plays piano professionally, um, mm. so I grew up in a very musical household, and we would go to movies and come home, and my dad would play the theme song. Oh, that's cool. Which I thought everybody's dad did. <laughs> I didn't figure that out until I was about 12. Like, oh, weird. What's some, um, what are some of the themes that he played for you? Oh, we went and saw Snow White. I remember seeing Snow White, and he came home and played Hi Ho. And somebody, my principal, come Secret of Nim. Did anyone? Did you ever see uh, that? Yes, movie? of course. Remember that John Bluth, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So that one, uh, Back to the Future. He played that. Everything you name it. Any That's of the so major cool. movies. Yeah. And uh, so that was a big part of my life. And I remember there was this day where I clued in that you could get books about people that were in musicals. 
and I don't know how old I was. I think it was about 11. I read this big fat book written by Richard Rogers about his career. And, <laughs> and I look back now and I'm like, wow. But yeah, so I just kind of, that's how it started. And then I didn't have a TV, actually. That was a big part of my life. Okay. Not having a TV. Not having a TV, yeah. So um, I guess live theater was a big part. Going to movies was a big deal. And then on the weekend, sometimes we would go to the library and rent a projector. So I actually saw Singing in the Rain on three reels because we used to, you know, we get the huge movies. And, uh-huh, uh-huh. and I still remember sitting in my basement seeing Gene Kelly, that close up of, you know, he's got the hat over the one eye. It's at the end of the big dream ballet sequence. And mm-hmm. like, I remember falling in love in that moment. I remember feeling like, I gotta, I gotta do this thing. I gotta play these songs. I have to. And uh, yeah, so it was just a whole collection of, of things, but definitely seeing Annie, like that was, that was step one for sure. You went to college for musical theater performance. Yeah. Yeah. And- so I first went to U of T. I went for music and English and I was incredibly bored, not because it's not a good program, but because I just don't learn in that way. So my mom, the brilliant, suggested I take a year off, get my ARCT. So that your ARCT is And what is, is like, that? I'm sorry, ARCT. That's the highest thing you can get in piano. So you go grades one to 10, and then you do your ARCT, and it's big. You play big, long, fat, hard songs. And by fat, I mean like lots of notes and lots of pages. Um, and it's really hard. So it took me a year to do that. Congratulations. And thank you. And then I, I was doing community theater show, and this girl said, you know, you should go to Sheridan. I didn't even know what it was. All right. In hindsight, I just laugh. It's a miracle I got in. So, you know, I show up at this audition, not knowing that other people like, you know, prepare for years to get into the school because it, you know, it's the top program in Canada. And (laughs) I show up with, you know, my not so great tights and yeah, just silly. So that's how I ended up at Sheridan. And I'm so grateful. Um, It taught me tons. It taught me a lot about process. That was my big my big interest when I was there. Um, I think because I had taught for so long before I got into the program and uh, because I had, I could play the piano so well, I I ended up playing for other people's assessments. So I got to see that side of things as well and see, you know, how nerves affect performers. And yeah, I loved it. It was a really great time. So you've been simultaneously on both sides of the table for a while, even through education. Yeah. When I was 13. um, So I took piano ever since I was uh, eight Partially because I wanted to and partially because it was like the law in my house. Um, yeah, with a dad like that, I would imagine so. Yeah, well, yeah. And, and my, my brother my brother played violin first and then I wanted to play the violin. Then he played the piano, so then I started piano lessons. But then I ended up being a tiny bit of a prodigy in piano. And then violin was kind of falling by the wayside, so I quit violin. And um, I had done my grade 8 piano. I'd done really, really well. And the minister's wife from her church phoned one day. And she wanted a, an accompanist for the choir. So I thought she was calling to ask my dad. And actually, she was calling to ask me. What? And that changed my life. I know. It changed my life. Because I never considered my piano to be something that was to be offered to other people. Like, it was just something I did. And I got ready for the exam every year. And, you know, I had to do it before I did my homework. And so that completely changed my trajectory. And it taught me how to sight read. So by the time I got to Sheridan, I was a really solid sight reader and accompanist. And... uh so when I, I did my grade 10, my grade nine piano and I sat down with my mother and I said, mom, I need to take a break from the piano. And she said, oh, well, what is it that you're going to do? And I said, I'm going to take tap dancing lessons, <laughs> keeping in mind that I'm like the world's worst athlete and I'm a great mover and I have a great face, but I really can't, I should, you know, 
Don't call me a dancer ever. <laughs> My mother said, Marion, you're going to hate me for a week, but you are not quitting the piano because piano is going to be the one thing that gets you everywhere in life. And I hated her for a week. I bet you did. And she was right. Oh, Darn it. As moms Everything often are. I, oh, man. Everything that I have done, um, in a way, harkens back to my success with piano and my mom, you know, insisting that I stick with it. So, yeah. So then I was playing for everybody at the church. I was playing for all the soloists and all the choir concerts and stuff. And then I um, led the children's choir. And so by the time I got to Sheridan, I had already been teaching for, I started teaching piano when I was 13. So I already been teaching for like 13 years. You were teaching piano at 13? Yeah, because why not? It was great money, right? Instead of wow. working at McDonald's, I had kids come to my house and yeah. Do you know who Doogie Hauser so, is? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So you're like the Doogie Hauser of piano. <laughs> I don't, well, it just happened so organically. Like my mom was like, oh, so-and-so's looking for a you know, a teacher for their daughter. And I'm like, well, I can't teach piano. She's like, why not? You know how to do it. Like, just figure it out. So I did. And that's, I've, I still teach. So I've been teaching 26 years now. Moving right along. So yeah, I heard about the Confidential Musical Theater Project because a friend of mine. Tony! Um, <laughs> Hi, Tony. I love you. Yes. Yes. He, he was in a Confidential Project. He was. In your, in the New York uh, debut of the project. Mm-hmm. Are we he allowed yeah, he was in yeah. Passion. Can we say that now? Yeah, 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 we can. Now the done. secret's out. <laughs> yeah. He was in Sondheim and Lapine's Passion. Yeah. And um, I was I was fascinated by the premise of, you know, this, like, almost almost like flash mob. It felt like, you know, like... Yeah, you, a little you, bit. You didn't know what was going to be happening. So, yeah. so how did Confidential Musical Theater Project come to being? Okay. So... After doing show after show after show with all these kids, mm-hmm. I I hankered after doing shows with adults. Um, oh. Not because kids aren't great, but I just, you know, I missed my friends. And I wanted to do shows with people that I'd gone to school with who did theater professionally, um, but also people that I'd done community theater with who are awesome, mm-hmm. but not choose to make that their life's work. So I thought about doing... Um, like fundraisers. So, you know, Hey Joel, I'm going to do this fundraiser for, excuse me, diabetes association. Come sing one song. But then I, that wasn't artistically satisfying to me because we're not show. Right. So then I thought, well, what if I did really limited rehearsal schedule? And, but then I remembered I was in a production of bye bye birdie. Uh, at, when I was at school, I was in second year. So I, I only could be in the ensemble, you know, Ah. and we showed up for the first sing through and Melanie Phillipson, she was playing Rose and she had all of her songs memorized. So during this sing-through, she didn't look at her. And I remember being so impressed by that. Because I thought that, that was, that's hard work. Like, that's, that's dedication, that's passion, that's all those things. So I thought, well, what if we give everybody their roles and they do their own rehearsal? And I was standing in my bathroom upstairs, uh, which needs a major renovation. And I always like to say that to people because I think people think that I'm this genius who's, you know, lying around in silk and pillows. And no, I'm standing <laughs> I mean, in my that's what very, I assumed. Like, very bad. I'm, well, that's, I'm, I didn't want you to have any illusions, Joel. You thank know. you. Thank you. Yeah. Shatter, <laughs> those, shatter those illusions. Yeah. So, <laughs> those Canadian illusions. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, I messaged my friend. Rob and Rob had done some shows with me in my studio and Rob was one of those theater people that if you handed him, 
you know, a screwdriver and said, this is the knife. He'd go, all right, we can work with this. You know, he was always very, so I, now I didn't believe him, but then he actually showed me the actual message because he kept it. I messaged him and I said, I've had the most crazy idea and I insist that you do it with me. (laughs) He phoned me and literally, I didn't know this. He had phoned me with the intent to say no because he was so busy. But the first thing out of my mouth was, you know how we're too busy to do all the shows that we want to do? <laughs> he went, <laughs> yes. Um, and that's how it started. Now, for the first one, um, we had a friend named James, James Woods, who is phenomenally talented. Um, he still performs, but he, you know, he has another job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's always wanted to play George. Ever since he'd been, you know, he'd known what it was. He'd wanted to play George and Sunday in the Park with George. So that's how we chose our first show. It was based on um, doing that for him. And we and we knew he'd be amazing. And because we were trying something so crazy, we knew we can kind of um, trust him to be ready. Because he'd had the score memorized for like 10 years anyway. Of course. Um, we got the rights. We booked the venue. And then we started to cast it. It was crazy casting it because i mean we're trying to explain how it would work but we didn't really even understand it and and so the premise is for those who maybe don't know uh we cast a show we don't hold auditions so now we do it all by online submission so people submit their headshot and resume and and video clips of them singing or Mm -hmm. we're dancing around um at the time we didn't do that so we literally like went to people we were who were talented and we give them their role and we give them their script and their score and we say, you're not allowed to tell the name of the show or your role in it to anybody. Now, there's people that freak out about that a little bit too much. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, mm-hmm. you can tell your cat and, you know, your spouse who you live with. But um, so, yeah, casting the first one was tricky. Um, and but, you know, off we went. So I've never practiced so much in my life. Oh, my gosh. That's the hardest score I've ever played. That's a Mr. very, Sondheim. very hard. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Steve. Um, yeah. Love Steve. And <laughs> I remember I just have all these moments of clarity. Like, so I, my husband's this brilliant graphic designer. So he designed our logo and he, actually, he logo. and I actually, thank you. So you're that here, the honey. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we actually came up with the name. We sat down with a thesaurus at the kitchen table and we're like, what's, what's mysterious. What's secret. So we came up with the name. He designed the logo and then he designed the website in like a day. Cause he's, he's that way. But I remember phoning GoDaddy.com. Yes. And they said, well, do you want to pay for a year of hosting or five? And I had that weird moment of like five because it's going to be successful. It was such a weird thing. But then like, you know, leading up to the first day, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have no friends and this is going to be terrible. But anyway, and then I had this weird moment. I was driving down. I couldn't swallow. I'd never been so terrified in my life. I think more... Because I didn't want the actors to be embarrassed. That was more my fear. Like, I don't care. If something screws up, I don't care. I have no ego anymore. Any ego I ever had doing children's shows for 10 years that drilled it right out of me. Um, but, yeah, so that was, like, my, my fear. Um, we had sold enough tickets to pay off the rights that were on my friend's credit card, so we were okay there. Um, but I was so scared. So we went, you know, we went down. I, the actors were petrified absolutely petrified just pale and like that was that was pretty funny and what i found out later was that the equity actors all thought it was an equity only event they didn't know that we i was so new to the game i didn't know 
that there was this big dividing line, and I, we just cast who we thought was going to be great. Right. And so they were scared because they had to see all, see all these non-equity performers. They were like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be very good. And um, So the first cool thing that happened was James said the opening line, white, a blank page or canvas, and half the audience, who of course were musical theater nerds, went, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> laughing in Oh, that's right? awesome. That's awesome. So that was that was such a neat line. And then it wasn't until Blair Irwin played Dot. Um, I had taught her at Sheridan, actually, so that was pretty cool. She sang Sunday in the Park with George. It ended. And I, I grabbed Rob's hand and I said, we're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And it worked. It actually worked. Our soldier, he, he had a G.I. Joe doll for the second <laughs> soldier. So, like, so it was this neat... Um, thing of create creativity, like Rob brought a stuffed dog, and that was the dog for the you know woof woof, you know that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, putting it together was a train wreck. We got through until the end when everyone comes in with their one line. Yeah. Um, but funny enough, the audience, the audience was just as scared, and I think it was similar to what I was feeling. Like I don't want these actors to look dumb because that's not fair, and they're you know they're doing this this great favor, so. The audience, um, it was almost like a relief to be able to laugh at something that had gone wrong. Um, well, we got a standing ovation at the end of Act One. So I, I nudged Rob and I'm like, you better get up and tell them it's not over. Today's episode is brought to you in part by ShowScore. It's a brand new, completely free service and kind of like Rotten Tomatoes, except, you know, for theater. ShowScore collects reviews from established critics, as well as over 30,000 of its members, including yours truly. At ShowScore, you can even follow me and the rest of your friends who've signed up to see reviews from people you trust. Sign up today and check out my reviews at showscore.com slash something new. Remember to use that specific URL because that's how we tell ShowScore that you heard about how cool they are from listening to something new. And that makes them want to continue to sponsor the show. And that's a good thing. So again, that's show-score.com slash something new. So standing ovation at the end of Act 2 and people wouldn't leave. People wouldn't leave the theater. It was like, I don't know. It was such a bizarre thing. I stayed up till 4.30 that night um, laughing, laughing. I like to laugh a lot um, with a couple of people that were in the show. And uh, the next day I got an email from Mike Anderson. He's a theater critic. I didn't even know who he was. I didn't know he was there. It's a good thing I didn't know he was there. And he said, do you mind if I publish a review? I wasn't planning to because I I didn't want to. You know, if it, if it didn't go well, I didn't want it to, you know, to be a worse experience. And I should sure. And he gave us a rave review. But the cool thing about it was that he hit on all of the awesome things, which was Confidential gives people an opportunity to perform with other actors that they would never, ever get a, a chance to otherwise. And I have a cool story about that for later. Um, it, it forces or encourages total creativity. So suddenly, you know, you're pretending to you know be in a painting or be riding a motorcycle and you got to figure out how you're going to do that mm-hmm. um and then keeping the audience in the dark and the cast doesn't know who else is in it i don't know if i said that the cast doesn't know who all is in the cast until no. they show up wow that's so, so cool right so nobody comes in with any kind of preconceptions so i don't come in going oh joel's playing tony i don't know if he can hit that high note you know you I know can't. we all do that we as polite as we try to be as kind as we try to be 
that stuff naturally happens. Jean Valjean, oh, I don't know, bring him home, let's see, you know. Right. So by the time the audience knows what the show is, they're so involved in, in what's happening, they really can't kind of there's go no, ahead. There's no time to judge. No, exactly. And the actors need each other so desperately. So I can't be all judgy at you because I really need you to deliver that line to me. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this thing. And so he hit upon all of those things in this review. And yeah, it was crazy. So our second show was three months later, four months later, we did zombie prom. Um, we did lose money for those of you thinking that I'm on this one track train to, to Mansionville. Uh, we, did, <laughs> we did lose money. There was a weird sense in the air that night of like, can they do it twice? Um, mm-hmm. But the concept works, even even though I I don't I don't understand it and I don't believe it myself. Every day, it actually works. So a few months later, we did Bells Are Ringing. I love that show. It's an old show, and and I love Judy Holiday. I think she's amazing and. Mm-hmm. Um, and the play, it, we turned a corner, the place was packed. Um, there was a real positive buzz in the air. Uh, they got another standing ovation. Uh, there was a particular actor in the ensemble who stopped the show three times, three times. I just had to sit there while the audience applauded him because he was so funny. And then between January and April, so in April we did Jekyll and Hyde. That's when everything went just went insane. So Rob, my original partner, he had to walk away because he wanted he he only ever did it for me, which is so sweet because he's my friend and I adore him. Um, but he wanted to pursue other things, so I was on my own. But that I mean that was okay. I knew that, and I and I love Rob, and that was okay. So that happened, and then that's when Ottawa, um, Vancouver was already signed on, and Halifax and Los Angeles all signed on. We set up New York. So all in that time frame. Wow. Each city kind of has its own um mark, its own uh color, I guess. I don't know what makes it unique. I would say New York, there was a drive to every note, every scene. It was quite incredible. And I think it's the drive that that gives you guys Broadway for sure and gets people onto Broadway. It was it was almost like I was taken back when they first started singing together. I, it was just shocking to me. Um, there's the fierceness that they delivered the show. So I went from being a person like I love Disney World. Walt Disney's my hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm obsessed with his I legacy. I saw a quote on your website, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the best way to get something done is to stop talking and just get busy doing. Um, so I went from wanting to go to Disney World every year and pretty much that's it to traveling. Oh my gosh. I went to Chicago, Los Angeles, Ottawa, Halifax, um, like on my own, my sister came down with me to Los Angeles was because of her. I got to go actually. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's exploded. It's exploded. (sighs) And so now we're in 14 cities. I will tell you a secret that we've actually signed city number 15, but I can't believe it is. I know. Ah, congratulations. Oh, thank you. And then, so this Friday we have a show in Toronto and we're actually announcing something else. There's a countdown clock on our website right now. I saw. Yeah. Yeah. Very curious what that is. I know. And I, I don't know. I can't really. This just for you. So, you know, I mean, yeah, you say, share, share what you want, but this episode won't air until mid February. 
Okay, so I can tell you. <laughs> okay, yay! So I got an email um, one day. My casting director had forwarded me an email. So we had cast this uh, guy named Gregory, and he had um, emailed back, thank you so much, I'm so excited. And then he said, has Marion ever considered confidential opera project? <gasps> So my casting director emailed back and said, Marion's the busiest woman of life, so I don't know what she'll do or say, but I'll forward it to her. And I <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course. So I phoned this guy up, and he's like, the opera community is this, that, and the other. And it's the same thing. Yeah. There's not enough opportunities for them to perform. Um, you know, if you think it's hard to get musical theater going, I can't even imagine opera where it's such grand scale and so much discipline and, and – um, so I was like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. So on Friday, we're announcing the Confidential Opera Project. <laughs> and we're going to do our first show in June-esque. We're still figuring that out. And we're so, the logo's done. My husband was like, you know, the website's done. My website guy, Fabian, I love you. Um, he's a genius. <laughs> he's hilarious. I was like, Fabian, I'm going to do a Confidential Opera Project. He's like, okay. So that night, he sends me the website. Okay, I got the website built. Let me know. I <laughs> know. Like, Come on. Yeah, that's that's my team. They're amazing. That's amazing. So that's what we're announcing on Friday. And uh, I think we're announcing our newest city is Pickering, which is a community northeast of Toronto. Uh, but again, like just really, really strong. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Congratulations. Say, thank you. I'd say we're talking to about five other cities right now. Um, yeah, five other cities right now. So it's... Wow. It's unreal. And I, so on Friday night, I had a weird moment where they had opened the balcony of this church. And so I'm standing there. I always address the group, you know, mm -hmm. had my little moment of fame. Yeah, yeah. But to look up at faces and to know, like, I don't know any of these people. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're there because of this thing that I happen to think about in my bathroom. That was a real sobering moment for me. And I think I, I don't understand how we're here. I don't. Um, it's incredible to me. The mandate of Confidential Musical Theatre is to give as many musical theatre performers as possible, as many performing opportunities as possible. Um, so every single person who submits will be offered a role. It's their prerogative if they turn it down, um, but the franchises are all under the onus that they have to offer something to everybody. Um, we don't hold auditions, so it'll never be about that. We cast... Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry. We cast regardless of race... Um, height, age, body type, all those things. Um, I and love it'll that. be the same. Yeah. And I can talk about that too, but it'll be the same for opera. So every single person who, who submits will be offered a role and a chance to, to do the thing that drives all of us, that drives all of us artists, right? We, we must create, we must perform, we must sing, we must, um, so yeah, I'm so excited to extend it to another community. People have asked me about like a confidential drama project, but I think what makes it work is the risk factor of the music. Yeah. You and I can get up right now and do a passable reading of Waiting for Godot. Passable. But there's no real risk than that. You and I can both read and so we can read out loud, but the risk factor comes with the music. Yeah. <laughs> the more complicated the song, the more the higher the risk, right? So Yeah. Yeah, we're really excited. Uh, Gregory Finney is going to be – so he's going to be pretty much running it. I'm just going to be cheering from the sidelines and going, yeah, go team, and, and kind of providing the, the structure of the company. Um, but, yeah, so that's the next big step. I love it. I'll tell you the cool story about the, the 
performers performing with other performers that they wouldn't otherwise perform with. Yeah. I, I had a student, I, I've taught her since she was mm, six, seven. She's now uh, 19 and she's in university. And we were doing the Goodbye Girl. And we did the Goodbye Girl because Tom Allison, who was like one of our top musical theater performers, he had always wanted to play Elliot and he would never play Elliot. Tom Allison is this gorgeous, blue eyed black man, just gorgeous. But Elliot is supposed to be, well, he was played by Martin Short. He's supposed to be this kind of, you know, little tiny Jewish man. So, you know, I, I got the rights and everything and cast the show and I needed a girl to play Lucy, the yeah, Lucy, the daughter. So I said to Nicole, I said, you know, do you want to do this? Oh, of course. So there's the moment where, um, Elliot sings to Lucy. They're supposedly in a rowboat in central park. And I had tears in my eyes because here's this Broadway veteran singing to my student who's a university for like history. And, you know, she's not going to do this full time. This would never happen in any other situation. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's moments like that. And even Friday night, um, we had a pro performing, um, the role of Jasper. And so there's these community theater people in the show who knew who he was. So that was so exciting for them. And so I love that. And I think it's inspiring on both sides. It's inspiring for the pros to see the people that do this just for the love of it and remember that that's how they started as well. Yeah. And then for the amateurs, it's like to die for heaven that they get to work with this person and, and they learn from their process. And so that's really, really cool. On Friday, we're doing ragtime <gasps> and I'm so excited. Uh, I have, I know, <laughs> right. I'm like move. I'm like I'm like swaying like a muppet. I'm just so excited. <laughs> Did you know that it premiered here in Toronto? Though I did know that. Yeah. Right? So it's so the guy playing Cole House, the the artist, the artist playing Cole House was actually in that original production in the ensemble. That's he would awesome. never get cast as Cole House because he's he's shorter, so he would never. You know, you have to have that physical stature. Right. Um, the man I've cast as Tate. I didn't know at the time he, he worked for live Ant. he was in showboat. He actually came and did showboat for you guys because they lost a cast member at the last minute. So he went and did it on the, in New York. He actually auditioned multiple times for Tate. I didn't know. And so now he gets to play. So it's going to be this brilliant. phenomenal night of, because the music is to die for the, mm-hmm. the message is so strong and the talent is insane. So yeah, that's awesome. Do you ever, do you ever invite the, the authors? I haven't, and it's funny that you say that because I've been thinking about Aaron's and Flaherty a lot because we did Once on this Island in mm-hmm. Chicago, and then we just did My Favorite Year. And for me, it's been interesting to watch the layers of their writing, and, and, um, and of course, I know Susical so well. And it kind of dawned on me, like, I wonder, yeah, I thought, I've thought about it. Okay. I haven't yet. It's like, Yeah. Just a now question. That I know it kind of works, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it works. I think we can safely say that it works. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Own it. Own it. All right. It works. It works, <laughs> darn it. Have you ever performed in the project? No. Well, no, I lied. In Sunny in the Park with George, Rob and I did Is it the Americans? Are they called the Americans? The ones that asked for directions? Okay. And um anyway, it was just a walk-on cameo. Okay. And and we did it, and it was very funny, and it was very perfect. It's just the way it was written, and, and it was fine. Um, but no, other than that, no. I have been asked. I was asked by a franchise, bless their hearts. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's not my passion. It's not what drives me. Um, I 
I never want the focus to be on me because it's not about me. It's about people and the, the art and the experience. And I would feel kind of like I was not showing off, but just pulling focus. So yeah. So no, although I play them, I play, I've played all of Toronto so far. Um, but I do have a dude lined up to play, uh, one of the ones I'm doing two in February and he's lined up to play one of them because I'm a little tired. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone. I don't, don't tell anyone. Well, he's going to do do the show on the 26th, and then I'm actually flying out to Cape Breton on the 27th to play theirs. So, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's really exciting. Be sure to visit the Something New archives. Every interview featured is available to you for free on iTunes and JoelBNew.com, including my talk with David Hudson, one of the founding members of another unconventional theater phenomenon, Three Day Hangover. We're trying to not just be like this schlapsticky, silly um, group that does theater in a bar. We want to be the serious group that does theater in a bar. We we take storytelling very seriously, and we want to honor these scripts, but we want to do it in a way that we think is accessible to people, and, and in a way that uh, Shakespeare himself or Chekhov himself would have approved of. I have two more questions before we start the song, uh, before we yeah. set up the song, yeah. um, which I'm super excited about. Yay! Um, yay! Um, so if people, um, I have a lot of younger artists, yep. musical theater people who listen to the, the podcast. Yeah. Um, what sort of broad advice would you give to people who are just starting in the performing arts industry, who are maybe pursuing a career in performing, but feel a call to expand or um yeah what what kind of advice I guess would you have given yourself earlier in your myself? career maybe I stumbled upon a quote there's this awesome woman named Brene Brown um if you don't know who she is you should google her she's very smart I very smart woman and I did a course that she ran via Oprah thank you Oprah thanks Oprah and there was she the, listens and it was talking about how to know, you know, what you're doing, if that's the right thing in life, you know, whatever. And I, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and she talked about how so many people today have multifaceted careers and that it's something that we, she calls it the hyphen. So you are a podcast. Um, I don't know what you, what do you call a podcast artist, I guess. Yeah. Hyphen composer hyphen. I'm sure you do something else hyphen, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. amateur baker, Right. And how that's actually become a thing. Oh, the slash career. That's what she called yeah. it. And I've always been ashamed of that. Until I did that course, I was like, uh, I teach. I teach musical theater. That's what I do. Well, so now I'm like, I'm a producer, hyphen, producer, hyphen. Now I'm a talent agent, hyphen, Walt Disney enthusiast. And, I'm, and I wear it more as a badge of honor. Um, so that's the one thing I would say right off the bat. Don't be ashamed of the slash career. I feel like a lot of artists... I meet and I say, well, what is it that you do? Well, I'm a soprano. I'm a this, I'm a that. I'm like, yeah, but like, mm, how do you pay the bills? Cause I know, I know what goes on. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, I, you know, I work at a, and I'm like, oh my gosh, don't be ashamed. Yeah. Don't be ashamed of the slash career situation that has to happen in this world to pay your bills. That, that is a thing. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. um, it's one of the yeah. reasons I created the podcast was to, uh, to kind of take that, um, the opposite of clout <laughs> to, yeah. to the slash. Yeah. Okay. So and then to put it in perspective, so I, so I have this big company, right. And it's got all these cities and it's all very fantastic. 
I play church services on a Sunday morning. I play at seniors' homes. I could have seniors' homes, and I sing and play the piano for an hour. Awesome. Um, I still teach. I still play the odd wedding or funeral every once in a while. I accompany. So there's a festival coming up soon, and I've had two people reach out to me to play for their, their kids. I have a very successful company, and I still have to do all of those things to pay the bills. This is yep. the reality of, of life right now, and and I'm not ashamed of it. It took me a long time to not be ashamed of it, but I'm not, and nobody else should be either. So if you're selling Avon or you know teaching Zumba at the gym or whatever it is that you do, don't be ashamed of that because you can bring art to any part of your life. I'm lucky enough that I am only solely doing music as my Joe job. Uh, but I hate using that term because I just feel like it's derogatory and it's not, it's not fair. It's not helpful. Yeah. It's not helpful. Um, the quote that Brene Brown introduced in that portion of her course was, don't look at what the world needs. Look at what brings you alive and go and do that. Because what the world needs is people who are on fire that inspire them. And mm. that's changed my like oh my gosh well confidential sets me on fire so i'm going to go and do that and apparently the world needed it so here we are I love and that. i'm working on um a women of musical theater festival to be held yeah. in the summer because the world needs that we have all these kick-ass women and women outnumber the boys four to one i'd say in our online submissions i know that's generally the case with any um, theater project um, and they deserve their due and it's going to be a celebration of women on either side of the table so it'll be female directors and musical directors female writers um, I'm so excited about it that's wonderful yeah so that that would be my so my advice don't be ashamed of the slash career do not be ashamed of whatever it is that you need to do to pay the bills and then figure out what it is that sets you on fire and go and do that and it you know what? Like maybe it won't be a big, crazy success. Believe me, I have done a lot of things that nobody really came to. Oh my gosh. I did a production of Charlie Brown and we had more people on stage that night than audience members. And what is there? Six people in that show uh-huh. and out they came marching bah, 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 and their faces fell as oh. they saw the three people in the audience. Oh. True story. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. True story. Right. And like, I, we got ready to do a show at Spirit of Mod one night, and I had two lights, okay, two theater lights. I had six people in the show. I had two audience members. At the last minute, four people came in. So now, now I was equal, equal. <laughs> one applause person for each actor. And just as the show started, the light literally tilted down and faced the floor. And so I had, <laughs> yes. So Anna Mod was quite dark that night. It was a mood piece. I'm like... But I've learned I own it. Whoever is supposed to be there was there. Whoever was supposed to hear those words is there. And I own it. And I would encourage all young artists, whatever it is that you're doing, own it. And don't be ashamed. My last question before we introduce the song is, um, you know, I know a lot of interviews conclude with, you know, what are you working on? What are you doing next? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then I I, kind of find that to be a... A pressure-inducing question. So, inst- <laughs> so instead, I ask, "What would you like to put out into the universe for yourself or for the project?" What I always try to say to the audience is, um, the people that get up on those stages, and there's been a lot of them now. I mean, Ottawa's done 
two. Vancouver's done three. Los Angeles has done three. So we've done quite a few. We've, I think we're doing Ragtime will be number 10 in Toronto. Um, so there's been probably, I think in Toronto, we've cast 144 people. Wow. So we're talking about probably 200 actors, 200 human beings who went, sure, I'm going to get up and be totally frightened to death. And I'm going to be putting myself in a situation where I could fail utterly. Um, I had a boy trip over a chair and do this brilliant pratfall because he forgot that it was there after he delivered a very dramatic speech. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I had a guy, um, the lead in Ottawa, he, he made the line, I know how to make an exit. And when he went to push the door to exit, the door was locked. That's amazing. Right? So what I would say to take away from this, be inspired by their bravery. Be inspired by their bravery to be flawed. I think in a time of Instagram where my photos, I can look like the hottest thing ever because I can edit like crazy mm -hmm, pants. Mm -hmm. On Facebook, I'm only going to post my most happy moments as my statuses so that everyone thinks I'm super happy all the time. Yep. Um, the people that get up and do confidential and, my, and, the, and the musicians too and the producers, we are putting ourselves out there in a big way. And so my advice to everybody whoever comes in contact with us be inspired by that so whatever it is in your life that you're like well if i do that i might fail or i might look silly or so and so might think i'm dumb or take the leap take the leap because that's that's the stuff of real life that's that's where the real living happens in that fear moment between making the decision and execution and that's what makes us interesting human beings now comes the time where we're going to set up the song all right. Oh my gosh. Uh, so, <laughs> and I never perform anymore, by the way. So, oh my god, like I am so honored. Seriously, harkening back to my roots. Right? It was so much fun. Um, it was fun for me. It was fun. It was fun for me too. So, Marion. So, I wrote a song for Marion, and she was kind enough to rehearse it and perform it and record it all in Canada, um, mm -hmm. on her own. Mm -hmm. Which you know, which is a huge leap of faith for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can. I'm like, I wonder how scared he is. <laughs> he was waiting the day you were supposed to get the track. And then my uh, my engineer, you know, he was a little longer than I had told you it would yeah, be. Yeah. I thought, oh, gee, he's worried. He's worried. I wasn't worried. Anyway. But yeah. Um, so so Marion learned a brand new song from my upcoming Murder, She Wrote inspired album uh, called Murder in a Minor Key. And um, I don't know. I just had su such a good time writing this one. And then, so I'll tell you a little bit about what this okay. whole thing is. So, so um, I like to challenge myself halfway through my podcast season, like there's a project that I'm working on. And um, so like at midpoint, you know, like the first season, like I wrote a radio musical and then like I recorded my song cycle and stuff like that. Um, so this one, I was like, you know what, I'm going to make, I'm going to make my first album. I'm going to make my first like six track EP and... Um, Last April, I had my solo cabaret concert debut, and um, and I wrote a song about murder she wrote for that concert, and it felt really good, and um, and then when I was thinking of projects to do for uh for the podcast, I was like, well, I guess I'll just keep writing those because that was so much fun. Awesome. Yeah. So I um so I put the, uh, I was like, but I want to interact with my fans. I want my listeners to be a part of this and invest in it. So I, I was like, all right, well, we need to start whittling it down. Like I work better when there are rules and constrictions put upon it. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like when they're, they're like, just write whatever you want. 
It's like, that's like the worst assignment ever. Yes. Yeah. All I can think of is Happy Birthday and On My Own. These are the two songs I can think of. Yeah. 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 Um, so with that, I was, I was like, okay, Murder, She Wrote. There were over 200 episodes. Um, how, can, <laughs> how can I whittle that down? And I was like, well, she was an author. What were some, what were the names of, how many books did her character allegedly write on the series? Right. Well, she wrote 44. <laughs> Oh, yeah. that's helpful. Really helpful. So I was like, okay, how are we going to will this down even further? So I put it to my listeners, and I put a poll out on Google Docs. Cool. And, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, chimed in, and I picked the fi- the top five most voted for titles of the books. And I was like, okay, those will be the song titles. Oh, amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And okay. so, um, you know, and I, I promise I did not vote. <laughs> I mean, like, but there were moments, oh my God, that I was just yeah. like, sitting and I was like, I was like, please, please, more people vote. That song, that title cannot be a song. It cannot be a song. <laughs> like, I'm going to take this away from you. If you guys don't. Gonna... Listen, you voters, if you don't behave. Yeah. <laughs> love it. I love it. Yeah. And I'm sitting on the final song title right now and it's, um, it's hitting me. I'm, I'm like, like, I've been putting it, I've been procrastinating this. Yeah. Song title, and I still, I still don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm closer. I'm closer. And I love what you said about parameters. My husband and I talk about that all the time. Where mm-hmm. anybody can do anything with a billion dollar budget or yeah. all the words and all the notes in the world to work with, but it the true challenge as an artist is to work within the confines of something because that's our reality. You're not going to yep. be handed the biggest theater and the biggest set budget and all the best actors ever. Um, so I, I don't know, for us, we always talk about that, that that's the true challenge and, and yeah, so that's really, I love that. Yeah. I love that that's yeah. Thing. That's, that's, that's how cool. I live for sure. Um, so one of the, one, one of the titles that my, my listeners voted on was murder in a minor key. And I was, I was like, okay, so we're going a little on the nose for song titles, which was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't roll my eyes at all when I first saw it. What? Uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> did you roll your eyes? You did. You did. I, I did it. when I first read the diminished line. I was like, oh, oh groan, groan. You have to. You have to, yeah, though. You do. It feels you good. Do. It feels yeah. It's so wrong, it's right. Yeah. That's how I yeah. felt. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to give them what they asked for. That's kind of how I yeah. felt about it. Awesome. So, um, So the book that she, that J.B. Fletcher wrote was called Murder in a Minor Key, which also happened to be the title of an episode. So I okay. looked at the plot description of that episode, and it was all about this young composer and his uh, professor and the student had written a song and the professor had then later claimed that he had written it and like published it and like premiered it all as like his own thing. And um, of course I I think he's the one who gets murdered, spoiler alert. And the, um, so the student, you know, comes back and he's like, like, Oh, how dare you? That was my song and you stole it and I'm going to make you pay. That was kind of the, yeah. um, yeah. So that was the premise of that. And then, I knew, even though I'm writing songs inspired by Murder, She Wrote, uh, which is a ridiculous premise, I didn't want it to be like, <laughs> which I didn't want it to be like this huge, like, wink that only Murder, She Wrote fans would yeah, yeah, yeah. appreciate because, yeah. you know, like, I like my niche, but, you know, I like, you know, we don't need to, yeah, yeah, um, paint ourselves into a corner. So um, I was like, all right, well, what can that be a metaphor for instead of, you know, and that's kind of what the whole project's become. So, um, so then I won't give too much away, but, um, but then it became a metaphor and I wrote it fairly quickly once I figured out what that was. And, um, 
and then I sent it to you, and then you recorded it recorded it at Love Lamp Studios. Yep. Um, with your with your friend Casey. Okay, so I have to tell you about Casey. Tell me, tell me. I met Casey when he was eight years old. Ah! And he was in my junior vocal class, and he, I well, I have to say he's the most one of the most talented people I've ever encountered ever. Mm-hmm. I got to teach him up till he was age fourteen. Um, I love him fiercely. He's now twenty something. I never know how old people are no, ever. No, no. Um, he has a band. He's currently in a um, film writing course, but from the time that I knew him when he was eight, like his dad was forever starting to build the studio in his basement. So now fast forward to now. So you, I sent you that Christmas album I recorded. Yeah. I recorded that with him in his basement. So he's got this awesome recording studio. I guess I, maybe because I taught him, maybe because I like to think some of what <laughs> I taught him stuck. We work super fast and super well together. Um, the hilarious moments are when, I can tell he doesn't like something, but he tries very hard to be kind. So I'd be like, I think that that could have more intensity. I'm like, oh, so you mean like actually hit the note where where I was supposed to hit it? And he's like, ah, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Casey, I love you. He's one of my all-time favorite people. Um, I give him gigs all the time. He's gigged with me on concerts. Um, and that's a joy I can't describe it to actually work with a former student. Um, so I knew he was the guy, like, I'm like, I have to do this weird thing where I'm recording a song with his podcast and I don't even know. And he's like, yeah, for sure. For sure. We'll do it. And, uh, yeah. And I like, love he's, he's amazing. Like we, we recorded it, we worked it. Um, and he's like, okay, I'll send it to you this afternoon. Like I totally trust him. I never worry about, you know, if he's going to do a good job and he's amazing. He's the best. So remember, uh, dear listeners that this performance will be available to stream on SoundCloud as well as as to attach to this episode. Um, Let's see. Be sure to follow me on all things social media, and you may find those links and so much more on joelbnew.com. Please follow my guest um, at Confidential Musical Theater... Is it confidentialmusicaltheaterproject.com? Yep. It's the longest one ever. Yep. And it's theater with R-E or E-R? With R-E. Sorry. I love it. No, no, I love R-E. I love it. And then Confidential Opera, because it'll be up and running, uh, is confidentialopera.com. Okay. And, uh, yeah, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, our Facebook page is probably the easiest to follow uh, about upcoming shows. And we always reveal them. So if we're doing a show in Chicago, 15 minutes after the show starts, it's posted on Facebook so you can follow and know what the show was. That's yeah. so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, please subscribe to, rate, review this podcast on iTunes. That's how people get to know that it exists. Tell your friends all about it. Uh, special thanks today to um, Casey at Love Lamp Studios. Casey! Um, if you're in Canada and you need to record a demo or anything, yep. um, he's your man, right? Yeah, he's your man. Cool. Um, Stephanie Layton, who does my graphic design. Uh, Peyton Royal, who mans my website. Joel Dickinson, who wrote my theme music. Um, there's, a pod- <laughs> there's a podcast out there called Murder We Spoke. Love it. Love it. Uh, They do recaps, hilarious recaps of Murder, She Wrote. And they've been a huge supporter of this album. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. They they definitely helped increase my uh, my votes for song titles. Um, Let's see. uh, The Dramatist Guild Fund has been helping uh, host a lot of my episodes. So uh, today, obviously, we're not there. So those are all the things I'm going to thank. Except last but not least, Marion Abbott, thank you for being on my show today. 
Joel, thanks for finding me. That was so like that was so fun. This is so fun. It's been so fun getting to know you throughout this entire like process and scheduling and yeah, what a delight. What a delight. It has been it has been my treat. Uh, so from my apartment in Inwood and from Canada, uh, this is Joel V. New. And Mary and Abbott. <laughs> saying thank you for dropping by for something new. Bye. And we're done. face all over Instagram not that you should still be single it's been a while since you were shown the door but your new photos likes and comments I have seen them all before we used to make such beautiful music it was enough to make a grown man swoon it breaks my heart to hear you singing a not so different tune Did you think I wouldn't notice the mortifying similarities? The same old never-ending selfies, same obnoxious emojis. Maybe you're an autopilot. You gotta know that it's the same routine. I'd sue for copyright infringement, but I don't wanna make a scene. We used to make such beautiful music. There comes a time when even good songs stop. So what about the final coda? Men take it from the top. I know it's nothing major I know that we're all finished It's just that I can't help But feeling the slightest bit diminished
Folio Group. Theatrical Media.